I don't know how many of you fly on a regular basis, but whether you fly or you just see other people flying on TV and in movies, you're probably aware of the safety guidelines that the flight attendants give uh, before the plane takes off. They tell you things like how to buckle and release your seatbelt, how to use oxygen masks in case of a change in cabin pressure, how to use your seat cushion as a flotation device. And even as I'm talking, I know some of you are beginning to disassociate and lose interest because that's the thing. Even as we are being given information that could literally save our lives, we have to fight the urge not to play on our phone or listen to music or simply just tune out and think about other things or try to take a nap. But the truth is, is on a number of documented occasions, people not listening to a flight attendant's instructions has put people's health and safety and even lives in danger. These instructions are no joke. If only the airlines could come up with a way to convince us that we need to pay attention. Well, Jesus faced a similar dilemma. He didn't so much have a problem with people paying attention to him. He attracted plenty of attention everywhere he went. But people did not always take him seriously or respond in ways that could benefit them. Jesus was sharing the good news of salvation. And this, this was a huge thing. This, this was salvation. This was forgiveness of sins. And yet, the people who actually put their faith in him were in the minority. And so in the last days of his public ministry, Jesus told a series of parables to drive home just how serious people needed to take him and his message. And so this morning, the parable we're focusing on is the one we just heard from Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, will be like this. And so he says, will be, meaning that he's talking about something that's going to happen in the future. And then he begins to describe a scene of ten maidens, or virgins, or bridesmaids, depending on your translation. They were ten unmarried young women who had been invited to be part of a wedding party. And so these women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now there's some explanation needed here because Jewish weddings in the first century looked differently than the weddings we're familiar with. So the wedding festivities could last a week or two, and most of the community was invited. This, this was a huge event. It would begin by the groom and some of his good friends leaving the groom's home, where the wedding was actually to take place, and to travel to the bride's home. And so normally that would be in the same village or it wouldn't be that far away. Once they arrived at the bride's home, they provided an animal 
for the bride to ride as they went back to the groom's house. And along the way, they would have a bit of a parade of sorts. They would go through the streets, making noise, drawing attention, inviting people to join in their great joy. Meanwhile, people were already gathered at the groom's home, making preparations for the wedding feast. And the guests would be there waiting, waiting for the groom and the bride. Now, there was no telling exactly when they would arrive. It could be late into the night before the festivities began. And so these 10 young women in Jesus's parable were likely spending time outside the groom's home with others with their lamps or what we would probably think of as torches. Now, no young woman would be out after dark without a lamp for the sake of her reputation and her safety. With a lamp, she could be recognized so people could see who she was and where she was going. Without a lamp, it would be much easier for her to be assaulted with there being no witnesses or for people to question exactly where she had been after dark. So a working lamp was a non-negotiable and so all the women had one. But Jesus tells us five of the women were wise and five of the women were foolish. The foolish women brought no extra oil to fuel their lamps, while the wise brought flasks of oil with them. Now, all of these women, it got late, they all became drowsy and fell asleep waiting for the bridegroom. But finally, at midnight, the parade was beginning to draw near and they heard somebody cry out, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so they went about preparing their lamps. But the foolish women realized that they were running out of oil. And so they asked the wise women for some of theirs. Now, footnote here, if you're looking to teach somebody about the importance of sharing, this is not your parable. Uh, Jesus does talk about sharing in other places, but that's not the point here. The wise women refused to share, saying they were not sure that if they shared, there would be enough both for themselves and for them. So they told the foolish women to go buy some of their own oil. And so while the foolish women went away to get their oil, the bridegroom and presumably his bride arrived. And as Jesus tells it, those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Who entered the wedding banquet? Those who were ready to meet the bridegroom. After the foolish women obtained oil for their lamps, they tried to demand that the bridegroom open up the door to them. They said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I do not know you. How exactly were these five women so foolish? What was their big mistake? They failed to see 
the urgency, the absolute importance of being ready when the bridegroom arrived. They behaved as if there would always be more time or somebody else could cover for them or they could even tell the bridegroom what to do. But they were wrong. This was not the dress rehearsal after all. This was the long-awaited wedding feast. They had plenty of time to prepare, but once the door was shut, it was shut. Jesus told his listeners, keep awake therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So what is Jesus's point here with this parable, with his warning about not knowing the day or the hour? Jesus is the bridegroom in the parable, and he's bringing to his listeners' minds the urgency of the gospel. He's urging them not to delay in responding to the gospel because at some point in the future, there will be a day of judgment. When John the Baptist began his ministry, he declared, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And when the religious leaders showed up to see what he was doing, he asked them, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? For John the Baptist, the kingdom of God meant justice. It meant the judgment of God. And so he called on people to repent of their sins, to prepare them for Jesus's ministry. Now, even though Jesus did not immediately bring the fiery judgment that perhaps John was expecting, John was not wrong about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes the final judgment when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Those who will spend eternity in the loving warmth and splendor and majesty of God's presence will be separated from those who will spend eternity banished from God's presence. This is deadly serious. And unlike a plane crash, it's something we can count on happening and it will include every single one of us. And that's part of what makes the gospel message so urgent. Jesus didn't spend three years traveling through Galilee and Judea and even Samaria simply for the sake of teaching and healing some people. He didn't give his life on the cross simply to be a martyr or to be a symbol of selflessness. Jesus is the in-breaking of the kingdom of God, and he invites people to the wedding feast where all kinds of sinners have been redeemed and belong to the family of God forever and ever. The invitation is wide-reaching, but it requires a response. Now, the foolish women, we never see them reject the bridegroom outright, do we? 
After all, they show up to the wedding feast. But it becomes clear over time that it was not a priority for them because when the bridegroom finally arrived, they were not ready. It wasn't flat out rejection as much as it was indifference, allowing themselves to be distracted by other things. And in the end, the outcome is the same. As the late Episcopal priest Robert Farah Capon wrote in his book, Kingdom Grace and Judgment, since faith is a relationship with God, there will inevitably be a point at which he will say that relationship does or does not exist. He will tell us whether we said yes or no. No one will get away with saying maybe forever. If we are on the fence about making God our priority, if we delay putting our trust in Jesus and allowing him to be the Lord of our lives, if we are resting on past spiritual experiences as a substitute for a living relationship with God today, we may find ourselves unprepared when we meet Jesus at the last. Now, there will always be people who choose to reject Jesus, who choose to serve the self or someone or something else instead of Christ. That's clear. They've made their choice. But for those in this room, I fear the greater danger is that some of us may end up like those foolish women who seem like they were at the right place at the right time, but were ultimately unprepared for the bridegroom's arrival. So friends, how do we prepare to meet the bridegroom? How are we to prepare for the great wedding feast? We say yes to Jesus today and every day, not okay, sure, not maybe later, but yes, Lord, I welcome you today and every day to be my savior and my king. We choose to put our trust in him and his saving work for us on the cross when he died for our sins. We trust that the same one who bled and died for our sins is the one who will judge us with mercy and will present us righteous to our Heavenly Father. We receive with open arms the gift of the Holy Spirit, asking him to guide us to and lead us to repentance and to testify to our spirits that we are, as the children were, were telling us, we are children of God. When we are in crisis, when everything is falling apart, when we are overwhelmed, we turn to the Lord instead of to our own devices. We daily die to our sinful selves, ourselves that insist on having things our own way, and we accept the Lord's will and his ways. And when we fail in this, which inevitably we do, when we sin, 
we fall on our knees and we repent yet again, knowing that we are loved, forgiven, and that the Lord's mercy endures forever. This is how we prepare to meet the bridegroom. This is how we prepare for the great wedding feast. We simply invite Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, and we keep showing up every day to meet him. So friends, let us pray. Lord, we desire not to be foolish, but to be wise. We do not want to be distracted by the things of this world or by our own competing desires. We want to be wholly focused on you, your love, and your kingdom. Would you prepare us to meet you? And so this morning, I want to invite all who desire to say yes to Jesus today for the first time or the 500th time. If you want to say yes to Jesus, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you. I confess and am truly sorry for all my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I invite you to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross to take away my sin. I ask you to be in charge of every part of my life. I ask you to dwell in me by your Holy Spirit and to empower me to be your faithful follower and to testify to my spirit that God is my heavenly father. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll see you at the banquet.